Well, it's a joy to be here today. And I'm telling you, just like John said, we had a time last night. Isn't there something about a wedding that just, it's exciting. And it makes you reflect back on the time when you took a bride or you took a groom. And all of us remember those days, I'm sure. And uh, I know I was reflecting on mine last night. I really was. And I thought, now I'm here attending my grandson. Wow. I'm going to tell you what, folks, that'll date you. I mean, I, I can't help it because I'm just 60. But anyway, I, just, <laughs> I want you guys to know that I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, it's been a joy to be here with John and Gwen and their family and Steve and Marty and their family. I'm telling you what, they're all growing up. I was telling somebody at the church the other day, I said, you know, you know, you, I know this is normal that, you, you know, your grandkids, they grow up and they get married and things like that. I said, I know that is normal, but it's been a long time since my grandkids have come running to me and won't sit on my lap. <laughs> I, I miss that, I'm telling you. I do, I miss that. And uh, so I guess I'm going to have to start holding my wife on, her, on my lap. That might help. <laughs> that might help. And I was talking to Brother Mayo a while ago, and he was uh, telling me something about our older son that's gone on to be with the Lord now, and about how many people that are in the ministry today because of Gail. And I, I, I so appreciate that, Brother Mayo. So I really do appreciate that. It meant a lot, a lot to me. And it's just a joy to be here today. It's been a lot of fun. And I would have missed, I, you know, if I'd lived in California, I'd have still been here. I would have still been here. It's just something about your grandkids. They're very special. You know, my church uh, up in Oklahoma, they, they kind of, they think we're kind of odd. Now, they all live, their grandkids live around them. And they think, how in the world can you go so long without seeing your grandkids? I mean, they think we are just kind of out of it and strange and that sort of thing. But my wife feels like we have to be at the church regardless. And so that's the reason why we do it. All right. Well, we're going to share. Are, are y'all conscious, uh, time conscious around here? All right. I'm going to tell you what our church is. You know, you, they tell me all the time, you can preach as long as you want to, but 12 o'clock, we're out. So, so I hold it pretty, pretty good. Getting a little bit better at it, I think. We're going to the uh, new King James Version. And I want to go to 2 Samuel chapter 5. And I want to talk to you about the idea that faith has two sides to it. Now, all of us, you know, you living in the Fort Worth Metroplex and all of that, you probably hear a lot of different messages and probably this uh, faith message is probably something that you hear all the time. But we're going to see if we can go at it a little bit, little bit different angle. And uh, so if you go with me to Second uh, uh, Samuel chapter 5, we're going to read a few verses. David's always been one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I have preached a series on him several times throughout the years of my ministry, and I always enjoy him because I think one of the reasons that I do, one of the reasons that I do, that I can relate to him. I can relate to him in a lot of different ways because I see so much of myself in his life. And when I, when I look at David's life, and where he came from and where he eventually wound up being the great 
and famous king of Israel. It just blesses my heart. And so we're going to the fifth chapter of 2 Samuel. Let's look at verse 22, shall we? Then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rehotham. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, and he said, You shall not go up, circle around behind them, and come up on them in the front uh, in, in, in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of the marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded him. And he drove back the Philistines from Gibeah as far as Gazar. And we're going to stop there in that last verse. Now, most of us are here because of an act of faith in our life. The Bible said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the Bible said that faith plays such an important role in your life and my life. Now, one side of faith kind of looks as though it's very inactive. On the surface, you would think, well, you're not doing anything. You know, if you have faith, you should do something, be doing something. But sometimes it, uh, it can look very inactive in our life. But like David, he was waiting on a signal that God was going to give him when he went out against the Philistine. Very important. God told him, he said, when you hear the marching in the mulberry trees, that's the time I want you to get up and I want you to start moving. And so David was waiting for that signal from God. And the other side of faith is very active. In other words, when the light turns green, we go. And so I think it's important that we look at both sides of this faith. As soon uh, as David heard the marching in the mulberry trees, he was ready to go out and fight against the Philistines, knowing that without a shadow of a doubt, that victory was going to be the ultimate results in his life. David had, if you know anything about David, I'm sure you do, David had become king over all the 12 tribes of Israel. He had conquered Jerusalem and he had made it his capital and he had defeated the Philistines once before this particular time. And they had rallied the troops, the Philistines had, and they were coming against David thinking that we can do it this time. We may have failed last time, but we can do it now. And so the, uh, the enemy came out to destroy David, and the problem is very real to David. It's not something that's a figment of his imagination. It's not something that he's just imagining. They were out to destroy not only Israel, but David himself, because David was a very popular and a very powerful king. And so the Bible said that this problem was very real. And sometimes, you know, when problems become very real, and we can imagine we have a problem, I understand that. But when we realize that the problem is real, it's got to be dealt with in some way or another. The problem is, or maybe the question we should ask ourselves, when is the time to solve the problem? When is the time to do something about the problem? Because all of us know timing is important, but also strategy is important. Yeah. 
Those things are very important in our life. And so, David, in this, the, the, the focus that I am I'm on today is that I want you to notice how David dealt with that particular problem, and it may help you and I to understand how to deal with our problems. Because all of us know that we live in a world of problems. I doubt if there's a person in this building that doesn't have or hasn't had a problem arise in your life. But sometimes you don't know when to, to, to attack that problem or take care of that problem or solve that problem. And I think David will give us some good information that we can use in our own life as well. And so the question that I want to ask all of us today, and it's probably a stupid question, but do you have a problem? Do you have a problem? What about the solution? Have you found the solution? Do you think there is a solution? We all know as people of God that there is always a solution as far as God is concerned. Now, I doubt whether any of us have ever gone against the Philistines, but you probably have gone against some enemies that uh, is sort of a staggering experience probably in your life. But, and we may, but there's things that we face every day that may not be a Philistine, but is still a problem and does it have a solution and we know that through God it really does. Maybe perhaps you are dealing with an illness in your life. It could be something that appears to be terminal. It could be fatal in your life. Maybe you're dealing with that. It could be that maybe you are dealing with uh, a relationship that's kind of stretched and strained. And, and in this relationship, you realize that there's some issues that need to be taken care of. And uh, you don't know exactly how to do it. You don't know the approach to do it. You don't know when to start finding a solution to the issues that are in that relationship. It could be a problem on your job. Maybe your boss is kind of, because he knows that you're a Christian, he might just kind of have a feeling because he's not a believer and he just makes your job and your work uh, uh, space just kind of very difficult. Or maybe there is a continual, maybe there's a relationship problem in the home. Maybe you and your spouse may not be just agreeing together as often as you should. Not that we always do, but there may be a time that that might happen in your life. And all of us are probably very familiar with this, that there is a continual dogging of financial problems. I think most of us have probably encountered that along the journey and along the way. I don't know what your problem may be or what you're facing in your life, but I'll tell you one thing. I know that David, what he did here, will relate to any of those problems that I just mentioned. But some of the lessons that we learn from David is we see how David's behavior was a very important thing in his life. How did David deal with this problem? And that's what I want to share with you today. First of all, the Bible tells us the first thing that David did, he inquired of the Lord. How many believes that's a good thing? You know, the Bible said, if you acknowledge me in all of your ways, I will direct your path. Does that mean that if you don't do that, he won't? I believe it does. The Bible said we are to acknowledge him in all of our ways. Some of the most difficult marriage problems that we are faced in our congregation is that sometimes one or the other of the spouses will go out and bring indebtedness into the family without the other person knowing anything about it. 
I don't like to pay other people's bills, do you? And so my wife and I throughout the years, we have tried to come together and said, I'm talking about big objects. Now, if I want to go to McDonald's, have a cup of coffee, I don't ask her about that, right? But if I'm going to buy a new car, you better believe she's going to know about it because she is going to be responsible to make the note payment along with me, of course. And so I think it's important that we understand that those kind of problems can happen. How did, how, how did David take care of this problem? He did, the Bible said before it did anything else, he inquired of God. Now, why did he inquire of God first? Because he wanted to make sure that God was on his side. Now, I'll have to admit this, that in my life, God's not always been in everything that I did. I would like to make you believe that I'm such a godly man that I never did that. But I want you to know, acknowledging God is very important in our life. Sometimes we act too quickly in a situation, and then when it blows up in our face, we say, how did this happen? It's because a lot of times people have not inquired of the Lord. I never will forget... Uh, I married a couple, and it didn't last long. It was one of those failed marriages. And they came, uh, the guy came to me and, and was talking to me about uh, the, the wedding. He said, you know, you married us. And I said, well, yeah, but how are things going? Well, it didn't work, you know. Well, I, I have sort of a no-fault policy in that area, you know, <laughs> that you are going to have to do your part, and I can't do it for you. And so I think it's important that we understand that when we, uh, when things blow up in our face, we need to ask ourselves, did I really inquire of the Lord? Did I bring him into the situation and into the equation? That's better than, uh, of course, if you do it late, well, that's better than doing it none at all, not at all. But David got it right the first time. That's what I like about it. He got it right the first time. He said, God, what, how do you want me to go up? We fought them back down the road. Now they have uh, kind of come together again. And how am I to, uh, to approach this situation? You gave me victory then when we just went out frontal and, and tacked them. But now it worked then. What do you want us to do now? How many of those, all of us, including myself, a lot of times we just sort of get into a pattern the way God does things and we think he has to do that all the time. When you look at Jesus' ministry, how many miracles do you see Jesus doing that he did the same thing? He, the, the results were the same. The outcome was the same. But the strategy was different. It's like the man at the pool of Siloam. He said he plastered his eyes. He was blind already. And Jesus plastered his eyes with a, a mud ball and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, he didn't ever do that again as far as I know, but he healed a lot of blind people. Sometimes we put God in a box. God said, I'm bigger than that. I'm bigger than that. And I want you to know that I am the God that is sovereign, and whatever I want to do, I can do it. I don't have to have anybody's permission. That's the wonderful thing about God, isn't it? So the interesting thing about this particular situation with David is that he fought the same enemy in the same place, in the same valley. And what he did the, what he did the last time, as I said, it worked. But you know, David did not, get, did not assume that God was going to do this miracle 
and go against the Philistines again that he was going to use the same frontal attack. And he didn't. He said, I don't want you to go up like you did the first time. I want you to wait until you hear the rustling in the mulberry tree, and then when you hear that, I want you to go out. Now, if David had been a man of pride, and his heart had been filled with pride, he would have said, well, you know, God did it this way the last time, and he'll do it this way again. You know, there's no doubt in my mind God could have done that. There's no doubt in my mind God could have done it. But God had a better plan. And he said, I don't want you to go out and face them one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. He said, I want you to wait until you hear the signal that I'm going to give you in the mulberry trees that I want you to get up from here and I want you to go because you're going to be the victory. You are going to win the victory. So inquiring of the Lord is the key to David's success. Even before he fought the previous battle, the Bible said he inquired of the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. On other occasions, before David became king, you remember the story about the Malachites coming in and attacking his camp and, and taking all the women captive and so forth and so on, you know, and his men, when they came to the back to the city, David's men were so grieved and and they were and they freaked out on him. I mean they did. You know, leadership has responsibility. Here's the guy leading a great army, and now they're saying, I think we ought to kill David. We ought to stone him. Sometimes leadership has some dangerous places along the way. I mean, leadership is wonderful, but you know, sometimes you're the only guy left in the game. You're the only guy there. And so the Bible said he inquired of the Lord. So Dave, so these Amalekites came in and they took the wives and all and they were troubled. Of course, anybody would. You know, think about it. If, you, if somebody took your wife captive, would you get shook up about it? And you probably wouldn't even take time to pray about how to go get her back, right? But you know what? David did, even in spite of the fact that he missed his wives and, and, all, and his men uh, missed the wives. And they said, we ought to go get those guys. We ought to go get those guys. They've got our wives. And you, 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 you're taking your time, David, and you don't seem to be in a hurry. The Bible said, David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop, and shall I overtake them? Not only pursue them, but will I overtake them? David was concerned about his wife and his family as much as any of his men were. But he said, Let's hear from God. Let's hear from God. And if we hear from God, everything's going to be all right. It is going to be all right. So God gave David the go-ahead signal, and he rescued his family and the family of all of his men. And the reason is, is because David had some insight. And I think he shares that with us in Psalms 27, verse 3 through 5. Though an army may encamp against me. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Now, folks, that's a statement. How do you handle something that a problem or a situation that has risen up against you? He said, my heart is not going to fear. And though war may rise against me, he said in this, I am going to be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord that will I seek, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and behold the beauty of the Lord, 
and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me on high. Did you notice a phrase in that verse where it said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Don't you wish you had more people felt that way? Man, I'm tell you what, we'd have powerful church. We'd get people saved. We'd get people uh, healed. We would get people blessed. And so, are you asking God what to do about the situation in your life right now? Are you asking God about the situation in your life right now, or are you just assuming that you know what to do? You know, we have several people in our congregation that says, well, it's all going to turn out all right. Listen, I've had some things that didn't turn out all right. There's something about bringing God into the equation that's going to help us. Don't just assume that everything's going to be all right. You say, well, that's just, that's just the way I, I face in life. No, I think God wants you and I to acknowledge him in all of our ways. Listen to James chapter 1, verse 5 in the, in the uh, uh, Living Bible. If you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him. How many believe that? And he will gladly tell you. For he is always ready to give a bountiful supply of wisdom to all those who ask him. David inquired of the Lord, and God gave him strategy. Strategy. Dealing with this problem. How to deal with this problem. He has, he, he has him, uh, uh, he has uh, approached the problem in a different way than before. The last strategy worked wonderfully, but David did not assume that it would work in this particular situation. Why God does that, I do not know. If God is sovereign, does it really matter about strategy? I think that what we're looking at here is not so much about God handling it, it's about you handling it. Us having the wisdom that we need in our lives. David did something else. The Bible said that he waited on the Lord. Now we're going to get into something here that a lot of people do not appreciate, including me. Because I have found out that in the years of ministry, praying is spelled like this. W-O-R-K. Work. You say, how come? Because if it was fun, there would be a lot of more people involved in it. But because it's work, you don't have too many candidates. And so I think it's important that when we're talking about waiting on the Lord, that that takes, and it looks very inactive. I know that. It's like I said before. This is the inactive part of it. waiting on the Lord. It seems like we're not doing anything. It's kind of like, let's make it happen. But sometimes it don't always work that way. Strategy is very important. God told David to wait until he heard the marching in the top of the mulberry trees, then attacked. Then God gave David a signal that it was time, to, the time had come, it's ready to move out. Can we wait on God's timing in things that we are facing in our own life right now? You know what? And this is true. Pride proceeds without God, with or without God. Pride proceeds 
with or without God. Humility knows that we must have God. You see, a knowledge of God is saying, God, I want you on my team. I want you on my side. I can't do it without you. And so that's what this idea of waiting on God and making sure that we know what direction to move and to proceed. Kind of like Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1. To everything there is a season. To everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. And I want you to notice something in that verse. That verse ties timing and purpose together. It just joins them together. Timing to purpose. I need to, underst I, I, I need to understand that I need to commit myself to God's purpose in my life because God does have a purpose. When God, when God created man in the very beginning and then we are in procreation and things like that, I don't believe there's ever been a person that has been born that as far as God is concerned is a pile of junk. I believe that there is a purpose in every person's life. It's left up to you to find that purpose. Now, God knows what purpose he has for your life, but how are you going to find that purpose if you don't seek God for that purpose in your life? God wants to do something powerful inside of your life, in your family, in every situation that you face in life. And so we need to understand that we commit ourselves to God's purpose in our life. But I also need to allow God to orchestrate the timing. Orchestrate the timing. And that means I do not become impatient with God. Now, my wife knows this. I get kind of impatient, impatient with her. I really do. And I'm sure that she returns that favor to me quite often. But... When it comes to God, it's not a good idea to be impatient. It's not a good idea to be impatient. And also means I don't procrastinate. A lot of people, when you talk about waiting on God, they think that you are a procrastinator. And a procrastinator is a person that's always putting off something. I'll do it tomorrow. I'm going to get to it eventually. And that sort of thing, you know? And so when, when I'm talking about waiting on God, I'm not talking about procrastination, and I'm not talking about letting opportunity pass you by. But you may miss that timing unless you are waiting on God and saying, God, I know that you've got a plan for my life. I know you've got a work for me to do. But I want to make sure that the timing is perfectly in tune with your timing in my life. And this also means, when we're talking about waiting on God, that we develop an ear to hear what God is saying. Now, this, this ear on the side of my head, it's very important for me to get along in the world and do what I need to do. But there's another ear that God needs to be tuned into. We need to be on the same frequency as he's on. Does that make any sense? On the same frequency that he is on. We need to learn to listen to his voice. You know what Jesus said? My sheep know my voice. That's what he said. It, now, he either meant that or he was lying. Because he said, my sheep. So is he saying that if I don't know his voice, 
I may not be his sheep or I may not be as close to him or my ear might not be tuned into him. It could probably be any one of those things. But I think it's important that we understand that God knows how to speak to your heart and mind. Most of it comes through the word, by the way. I would never rule out a voice voice of God that could speak to you and is very vocal. I, I, I believe God can do that. But, and I think he speaks to our inner man probably more than anything else. But we know when God speaks to our heart. So God wants us to understand that the strategy is very important. Because God can give us a direction that we can throw our enemy for a loop if we'll just follow him. Before his ascension, Jesus emphasized the purposes of God. He told his father, fatherless, he said, repent and the, the remission of sin but was to be preached in all nations. He said, in other words, to the church and to his 12 disciples, he said, you have an assignment. You have an assignment Now I want you to get the strategy down. Now I want you to get the strategy down. Look what he said in Luke 24, verse 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Wait on God for empowerment from him before you try to make it happen. I just can't make it happen. God's got to make it happen. God's got to make it happen. I can do my part, and God wants me to be very active in what God's doing, but the ultimate victory is going to lie in the fact that I trust him. And I I, I just feel like that God is speaking to some heart today, that you may be in a situation, and you may be in some circumstances right now, that you are just a little bit puzzled, maybe you're struggling in some areas, You know, only God knows. But listen, I want to speak into your heart. God will help you out of that. I think it's like Sister Hibbard said years ago, God will pull you through if you can stand the stretch. And sometimes that is so true. That is so true. And so as the disciples waited in Jerusalem in obedience to Jesus' command, nothing significant happened the first day. It's like marching around Jericho. God said, I don't want you guys to say anything. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to, uh, I mean, it's hard for us to be quiet. They were marching around that wall. I don't want you to say anything. I don't want you to make out your grocery list. I don't want you to do all of those things. I just want you to march around and nothing happened. It's the same thing in the upper room. First day, second day, third day, nothing seemed to happen, but it did happen. It did happen. And when did it happen? On the day when it should have happened. On the day of Pentecost. This, that was the Feast of Pentecost. That's when they were going to be endued the power of woman high. You know, this prayer thing that we talk about sometimes, it may be good, as somebody said, but what, we, what are we actually doing? Some people say that. You know, they say, well, I, I believe in prayer, but, you know, it just seems like that's, we, we need to do something else besides prayer. We will. We'll get around to that because prayer is a motivation. Prayer is a motivation. And so prayer is actually doing something. Have you ever had anybody ask you, well, what are we going to do besides pray? Well, we're going to pray again. We're going to pray again. In fact, it's just about the only thing that you can do until you get some direction from God. 
It's no use going out half prepared for the situation that is before you. I think we ought to take on the whole arm of God because we are not fighting flesh and blood. See, that's the point. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, but we're fighting against principalities and powers and workers of evil in high places. And so the value of prayer is very evident on the day of Pentecost according to Acts chapter 2. And so the Bible said, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one set upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. The Spirit of God gave them utter. Suddenly everything changed. How many knows God is a God of suddenness? God is a God of suddenness. And brother, when God gets ready to move, let me tell you, that suddenly kicks in and things begin to happen and you think, man, this is amazing what God's doing. This is amazing with what God's doing. And so if you've been waiting on the Lord, I've got good news for you today. Your suddenly is coming. Your suddenly is coming. And that suddenly is going to touch your life and it's going to change your life and it's going to change the situation very quickly in your life. It can all change by just one touch of God. Think about all the other Bible characters that waited on the Lord. All of us remember Sarah, Abraham's wife. All of us remember that. And all of us kind of are in sympathy with Sarah in, in some ways. We are in sympathy with her because here she's waited all these years. No son seems to be anywhere in their future. And yet God had spoken to Abraham and said, I'm going to give you a son from Sarah. You know, they tried the option. Options sometimes get us into deep water. Options. You know, I know they're, they're available. It's kind of like, you know, here you are as a young man, you're dating these young ladies, and, uh, and one of them hauls off and gets married to somebody else, and you got the option. But is that option right? Is it the right option? And so it's important. And I thank God that Heath, my grandson, he got it right the first time. He got it right the first time. But here is Sarah waiting on a son, but, but God uh, has an appointed time. God could have given Sarah and Abraham a son long before Isaac appeared. We all know that. God could have done that. But the, but the timing is so important. And I cannot get into all of that because I probably get myself confused as well as you. But I do believe there was a specific day in Sarah's life when a major change was going to come into their home. I believe that. God's time is important. There was a specific day when the word was given by Pharaoh to bring Joseph out of prison and seated him next to the throne. It was not just any day. It was a specific day in God's timing. It was not some vague someday. I hope it was God's ordained time because the right king was there, the right timing was there, the situation and circumstances were there, and God said, now it's time for me to get him out of this prison and get him on the throne. Get him out of the prison and get him to the palace. 
It's important that we know that God's timing is very important. There's one particular day in the life of Job when God healed him and doubled and gave him double for his trouble. God could have healed Job long before he did and gave his family back to him, wealth back to him, all of that. But God brought Job out of that, healed him, and so forth and so on. There was a particular day when Cyrus signed a decree to release the Jews to go into captive, go out from captivity. There was a special day. There was a special day in the life of the woman with the flow of blood touching the hem of Jesus' garment, and she was healed. There was a there was a timing tied into that. I'm trying to help us understand today that it can all change in one day when God enters into the problem, into the situation. God knows how to reward those that wait upon him. The Bible teaches us that God does not work on my timing. Somehow or another, you know, he doesn't, he, he doesn't have, we're not on the same time. You know, he may be on another timing called his time. And I'm here to say to all, to someone today that there may be a time, a, a situation in your life right now, but I want you to know God knows how to resort, reward the righteous. He knows how to reward the righteous. I'm here to tell you that you have not waited on him in vain. I have a word from somebody in this building today who has felt weary in your waiting. The Bible said, Peter speaking to this in his second book, chapter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He's not slack concerning his promise. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, all the promises of God are yea and amen to those that are in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 25 and verse 9 says, and it will be said in that day. Notice that. It will be said in that day, a particular day, Behold, this is your God. We have what? Waited for him. And he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We, are, we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For on this mountain, the hand of the Lord will rest. Wait on the Lord is one of the hardest things that you will ever do. But it will be the most rewarding. Waiting on the Lord is not being passive. That's not waiting on, that is not what waiting on the Lord is about. It's not being passive. Waiting on the Lord requires being active, anticipating the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, in this life. Folks, we won't need, a lot of things that we have need of now, we won't need it when we get over there. That's the reason why God made some promises for us now. We need it now. You know, I won't need any money when I get to heaven. I, I, won't, I won't need any grace when I get to heaven. I won't, I won't have any problems when I get to heaven. And so the thing of it is, God said, I'm giving you something that'll work in your life now. I'm equipping you with something that is very real and very active in your life. And so waiting on the Lord is the difficult thing, but it is very rewarding. It is the discipline of not taking matters into your own hands. That's what prayer is. It is the discipline of not taking matters in our own hands. It was G. Campbell Morton that put it this way. Waiting on God is not 
the abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means first, active, under command. Second, readiness for any new command that may come. Third, the ability to do nothing until the command is given. That fits in what I'm talking about today with David. He was, he was, uh, he, he knew what God told him to do. And he was saying, I am not going to do anything until I have a command. And when God starts rattling those trees and those limbs and those marching in the mulberry tree, I'm out of here. David waited until he heard the sound of the marching in the top of the mulberry trees. David did something else. He did something else. The Bible, and this is the key to everything I've been talking about. All the other would not mean a thing until you do what David did. The Bible said he acted. He acted upon what God said. He acted in obedience to the Lord. The appointed time, the appointed day, David stepped out boldly, attacking the enemy. Faith without works is still dead. Faith without works is still dead. And so it's important that we understand that so-called faith that takes no action is a dead faith. James says this in James 2 and verse 18, but somebody, someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. He had it right, didn't he? Yeah. He said, I'll show you my faith with my works. He said, I, I don't have to make a choice between one or the other. He said, they work together. They work in harmony. Faith seems to be the action one is willing to take in their life. The most significant word in the text that I read you today is found in verse 24. Then, for then, the Lord will go out before you. Verse 24, the latter part of that verse. I want you to notice this. For what was he saying here? For then the Lord will go out before you and he will strike the camp of the Philistines. What is, what's that, what is that verse telling us? It is telling us that when David got the signal that, uh, of the marching in the mulberry trees, God said, when you move out then, I'm going to go with you. What I think he was saying to David, if you move prematurely, I can't guarantee you that I'll be there. But if you move, when you hear the marching in the mulberry trees, you can bet on it. I'm going to be with you. I am going to be with you. I think that same conviction is saw in the life of Moses as well. And this is why David inquired of the Lord. This is why David waited on the Lord. Now David is wanting uh, to uh, take it, uh, uh, David is not taking it on by himself because he knew that the key to victory is the presence of God. Moses understood that very well in Exodus chapter 33 when he said, if your presence does not go with us, do not send me up from here. What a statement. Here's a guy talking to God, and he's telling God, if you don't go with me, I'm not going. I am not going. And he went on to say, how will anyone know? And he had a reason. He qualified that statement. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me 
and your people from all the other people around here upon the face of the earth. I think that's good reasoning. He said, I don't want to go without you, God. And how, how important that is for a church, how important that is for a person, how important that is to a people. The one thing that distinguishes the church from all other institutions is the presence of God. The presence of God. If we don't have the presence of God, we really don't have the thing that we need to move us, to motivate us, help us to reach other people for Jesus and do the work of God. A church that is run only on human energy alone is going to be very weak. It's going to be very weak. It is God's presence that is, that is activating us, that is shining through us and makes us the church. Praise God. I think it's so important that we understand that God's presence is so important. And Moses understood that. He understood that. One of the challenges of the church is the command of the Lord. Uh, uh, one of the challenges of their church is the command of the Lord to wait on him, spend some time inquiring of him, spending some time in talking to him that is called prayer, and, sin, uh, the, uh, and spend the time seeking his will and his strategy in our life. My flesh is like your flesh. It wants to do something to make things happen. It just wants to do that. But I know enough that it's not going to work. There is a sure word or a sure way to create. That is when we move out simply because we think, I've got to do something. See, that is the problem with Sarah. She said to Abraham, we're getting old. we got to do something. Basically, what she was saying, if we do something wrong, we've got to do it. And boy, did they ever. Did they ever. So the sure way when we say, I've got to do something, I'm, I'm waiting on God, but I hadn't heard from God, and so we've got to make something happen. That is a sure way to create an Ishmael that you wish you hadn't ever created. And we know the heartache of that family. We know what happened. It was a sad, it was just a sad, bad turnout. So we wait on God's promises, and one side of faith looks very inactive, waiting on the surface, waiting. It looks like we're not doing anything. It looks like we're not accomplishing anything. And so we just get a little bit anxious, and we just got to take things. It's kind of like Saul coming to the sacrifice. We got to offer up a sacrifice. The Samuel hadn't, has, hasn't arrived yet. We got to do something. And the Bible said, oh, that's not enough. And so I appreciate the fact that God, uh, that David waited on the signal before he acted. People may ask, what are you going to do besides pray? Well, the way I feel about it, we're not going to do anything until we do pray. Because the first thing is really to ask for God's command in our life. One side of faith is called waiting. The other side of faith is talk, we're going. We're going to win. We're going to, we are going to, to, to defeat the enemy, and we are going to do that. You know, when you look at human flesh, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? And I'm a human. But there's crazy things about human nature. Have you noticed that? Have you observed people that, that operate in the natural, function in the natural, do things in the natural? It's kind of crazy, isn't it? It really is. 
In other words, when it's time to wait, we're tempted to be presumptuous. When there's a time to wait, we're persi- we are, we are sometimes tempted to be persistent or presumptuous rather. And when it's time to act, sometimes we are tempted to draw back. Naaman is a good example of that. He came for healing in the land of Israel because of his leprosy. And when the guy told him to go dip in Jordan seven times, he said, if I wouldn't take a bath, I could have took it in the beautiful streams in Syria. It would have been all right. He almost missed being healed of a deadly, dreaded disease simply because he didn't want to dip in Jordan. It wasn't nice enough for him. And he almost had missed it if it wasn't for the little maid that had been taken captive. And we see this throughout the Bible. We really do. We see this uh, throughout the Bible. The woman of issue of blood is another good example of that. And the Bible said in John chapter 9 and verse 7, he said to the blind man, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Let me, let me wind this up just in the next couple of minutes. David response can be applied to all of our lives as well. It can apply to our lives as well. David inquired of the Lord. In other words, he went to God in prayer about the matter, about the situation. He did not assume they already knew what God wanted him to do. Even though he had been successful in the past, David waited on the Lord. He waited until he heard from God concerning the strategy how to go about this. God told him that the sign would be given to him and if he just listened to the timing and the warring and all of that in the mulberry trees, the marching in the mulberry trees, David waited until he heard the marching orders that God was going to give him. Then David, when he did that, he acted quickly and responded, and responded quickly to the will of God. I hope that every one of us in this building today, I do not know anything about what's going on in your life, in your family, but I hope that you will apply some of these principles that I've shared with you today. Let me ask you this. Where are you in your your progress? Where are you in your progress? Do you need to inquire for the Lord's strategy? How do you want me to handle this? Do you need to inquire of the Lord for his plan for your life. Be prayerful. Be hopeful. Be faithful. And let me tell you what God will do. The Bible brings some good things in your life. The Bible said that he wants to give us good things. No good gift will he withhold from those that work uprightly. Folks, God is still the same God. Everything has changed in church circles today. There's no doubt about that. But the God that we serve is still the omnipotent God. Father, I thank you today. I ask you, Lord, to reach out to that individual that is struggling with a situation and they don't know what to do. Father, I ask you that you will just touch them. I pray that you will bring a peace into their life that they will know that God is at work when they can't do a thing. And Lord, there are things in life that we want to put hands on, but we know that that is not your strategy. It just won't work. Sometimes it will. It depends on circumstances. And Father, help us to always be open to what you want to do in our life.
I ask you to bless this church and bless this people and bless this pastors. And I ask you, Lord, that the future for this church will be one that will bring honor and praise and glory to your kingdom. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen.